appreciate very much this uh, opportunity that uh, we have together. Very grateful that Tanya and I have been able to be with you again, and uh, we look forward to moving into the area in less than a month. Uh, you've been very kind to uh, allow me to preach to you this morning, and uh, grateful for the Hugginses for putting up with us, having the strength to en endure us being at their home. Uh, it's been very loving. Speaking of strength, strength is something that everyone desires. No one likes to be called weak. No one likes to be thought of as without strength. Uh, we want it. It's something to obtain, something that helps us survive in uh, a hostile world. Everyone wants strength, whether it be physical strength to overcome the, the challenges I face, the mental strength, the, the emotional strength, and most certainly the spiritual strength. We all want to be strong, don't we? No one wants to be helpless. No one wants to be seemingly pushed around. We want to be able to endure, to thrive, to succeed. And yet how people out in the world, as we've grown up, define strength and where it comes from and how to obtain it, it may not be the same as how God defines strength. You look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, and you see where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Notice that where it comes to being strong is not in our physical prowess or our, our mental acuity. It's being strong in the Lord and depending on His strength, His might. Also, in our reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, as, as Paul was trying to get rid of his thorn in the flesh and he implored the Lord and the Lord said, you know, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. So Paul, therefore, said, okay. He said, therefore, in verse 10, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said he was strong when he was being persecuted, when he was putting up with distresses and burdens and for the sake of Jesus. So rather than let the world define, you know, what the, the, the propaganda is saying, this is what strength is, people. This is how you're strong. This is what defines strength. We're going to go ahead and see what God tells us and what it means to be strong, because obviously there is a disconnect between what we've been raised to believe about strength and what strength to succeed and endure and thrive really is. First of all, we notice that we are strong when we have respect for the authority of the scriptures. You know, the world will tell us that we're strong only when I reject authority, when I go my own way, I forge my own path, I'm going to create my own destiny and no one's going to tell me what to do. That makes a strong person. Yet God says differently. You look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, and though I have the verses on the screen, feel free to look in your Bibles to follow along. Uh, be ready for the New American Standard. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Do all by the authority of Jesus. So it's not me forging my own path that's going to make me strong. He says, you're going to respect the authority of Jesus. Furthermore, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 13, we're told not to go beyond the words of the Lord. 
Balaam, in speaking to the messengers of Balak, were replying to them, he said, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that I must speak. Even Balaam here knew that he had to respect the authority of the words of God. He had to listen to them. They were something to be feared, something that would give him direction. The apostles in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, were commanded by Jesus to not relay their own will, but to relay the commandments of the one who sent them. And Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What they were to, commanded to teach was what he commanded them in the first place. Whose authority are we commanded to respect and honor to be strong? Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, reveals who God told us to honor. It says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so it's Jesus who we are to listen to. If I'm going to be strong, if I'm going to endure, I need to respect the words and the teachings of Jesus who God has put in authority over you and over me. Furthermore, we need to abide in the teachings of Jesus to have God and the strength and the light that He offers. You see this in 2 John verse 9, and it says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Jesus or the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Make no mistake. I can't go my own way and do things my way. If I don't respect what the Bible says and I put more respect for what I feel and what my heart leads me to do, I'm not going to have the strength to endure this life. And I'm not going to have the strength to succeed. I can't do it on my own. Lastly, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, in, in describing himself and Apollos as servants, he says, so that in them we may not learn to exceed what is written. We, we need to learn that as we look at to Paul and Apollos and we see them as, as put them as the servants, we're not going to exceed when they didn't exceed what was written. We're going to follow their example and submit themselves to the authority of Jesus. If anyone would have been tempted to make the rules and make people follow them, it would have been the apostles. You think about it, the, the authority they had. However, Paul knows that his position was nothing but to point people to the real authority, Jesus, whose teachings we have today in the written word. When it comes to the Bible, we need to uphold this. If we're going to be strong today and we're going to have the strength to endure and succeed, this must be our authority. And my emotions and my mind and my mental reasoning cannot take its place. We are also strong when we're not ashamed of the gospel. There are those who submit to, perhaps to the authority of the Bible, but because of the, the stain of the world toward it, they shirk back from proclaiming it. They don't want to offend people. Maybe they think the Bible is too harsh in some of the things it says, or it's too controversial. Perhaps they think that the strength to change lives lies in their unique personalities or in the friendships that forge. Maybe it's the generosity that they show to others 
And I'll change people because I'm nice to them. I'll change people because I'll have these strong friendships or I'll go in the, and work with politics to, to change how things are going and make the nation fear God again. I'll make people obey Him. But true change in a person doesn't come from these things. The strength to truly change people and nations doesn't lie in the things that we do for people and the relationships that we have, but it comes from the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Now notice there's two reasons why Paul states he isn't ashamed. One, because the gospel has the power, or you could call it the strength, to save. And two, because it contains God's righteousness. And so when I'm not ashamed of the Bible, and I'm not ashamed of His teachings, I have the power and the strength given by God, the tools necessary to change lives, and perhaps change my nation. Many will try to say there are better ways to reach people, but when we abandon the Bible, we've abandoned the strength to change. Well, third, we are strong when we are filled with knowledge as well as zeal. There's a lot of zealous people out there, and zeal is good. Zeal is what helps us to have that motivation to go out and to work and work hard. But there's a lot of people who work without knowledge. There's a strange habit that I share of ignoring instruction manuals and trying to figure things out on your own. When I get a box that I've ordered, whether it be a, a bookcase or a bed or any other thing else, I like to toss the instruction manual aside and try to figure things out on my own. Um, how many times have we tried to find out where we're going ourselves? I don't need a map. I'm going to figure it out myself. People think they're showing strength when they decide to, to do this. Some people ignore the advice of uh, parents, ignore the, the advice of those who are older and more experienced, and they want to learn things themselves. And while this, this, there may be some merit to, to learning to do things and having initiative, we cannot take this over into the realm of spiritual matters. Because people who do these things jump into things blindly and they decide to ignore the good advice and they think they'll catch on as they go. We can't approach life that way and possess the strength to endure and succeed. Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. He says that he prayed that these Christians would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was Paul's prayer. He's praying for these Christians. He's praying for us in a way that we would be filled with knowledge, the knowledge of God. Also in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now you notice that these people had a strong desire to, to serve and to please God. And we know there's a lot of people like that. 
But however, their lack of knowledge kept themselves from submitting to the righteousness of God. So their, their lack of knowledge of the gospel kept them ignorant, uh, kept them unable to stand against the schemes and the wiles and the trickery of the devil. If I don't know God's will and I'm not filled with his wisdom and his understanding, I'm going to fall prey to Satan time after time, aren't I? This principle is laid out in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 13. He says, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Notice here, he talks about resisting, standing firm. What does you have to do? You have to put on the full armor of God. And if you are a Bible student, you know the full armor of God involves righteousness, involves faith, and involves truth. Among other things, none of these things... Without knowledge, you can't have them. You know, there's an adage out there, what you don't know won't hurt you. This adage is false. If you think it's true, you try walking in pitch black in a place you've never been and try not to bump into things, fall into pits, hurt yourself, or get lost. What we don't know can hurt us. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough time in this world to try to figure out how to live properly and for my own good. My life is just a vapor. It's gone. It's, and as you grow older and the years seem to fly by faster and faster, I don't have enough time in the world to figure things out and figure out what's truly good for me and what's bad for me. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, tried everything. And yet, what was his conclusion at the end? He said, fear God is keep his commandments. I need to get instruction from God. Because everything I tried failed. If I can't take apart a Boeing 747 impetuously and put it back together again without instruction and a manual, uh, how can I figure out all the do's and don'ts of an infinitely more complex existence uh, in the short lifespan that I have? I need to trust and, and, and follow and gain more knowledge about what God desires from me. And what He desires for you. God's the one who designed our existence. He designed the world uh, thoroughly to the, down to the nuts and bolts of things. He knows you and I inside and out. He knows how we work, what's best for us. So I need His instruction manual. I, I need His insight. I need His knowledge to have the strength to endure this life. Fourth, we're strong when we have burdens to bear. We're strong when we have burdens to bear. You know, many people think that a strong person is one who, who removes all the obstacles and all the, the difficulties from their life to where now their existence is carefree. I've solved all the problems, and now I can have 2.5 kids with a white picket fence and a nice house, nice job, and no worries. I'm a strong person. And yet God says a carefree existence is not what makes a person strong. You know, the per what's the purpose for strength? The purpose for strength is to bear burdens. You look at Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. The purpose we have strength is so that we can use it. We need burdens to, to, to bear. And if it's not our own, we bear the burdens of others. 
In fact, bearing one another's burdens is what Jesus intended in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where he says, Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So, yes, we have burdens in our own lives, but guess what? It's not always about us. Some people think that uh, if I were truly strong, I wouldn't have so many problems right now. But it's completely the opposite. God knows that testing makes a person strong. Testing purifies. Remember what Paul said made him strong in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was saying all those things that he was suffering and enduring, they made him strong. Strong in what? Strong in the Lord. Well, how do these burdens make us strong? I don't know about you, but it seems like I'm getting beat up sometimes. Seems like I'm just being punched over and over again by life. How do these things make me strong? We talked a little bit about this in, in our class this morning. And uh, Psalm 119, verse 71, can give us some insight where he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. We cling to God and his statutes when we're looking for strength, don't we? When I'm being beat down by life, who do I reach out for? It's God. I reach out for Him and I'm looking for answers because I realize I don't have them. And when I cling to Him, we have the strength that He gives us to face the, the burdens that weigh us and others down. This principle is nothing new. After all, why do you go to a gym? Why do you lift those weights? Why do you take those burdens onto yourself and put your muscles under that kind of stress? Because you want to be stronger. And as, uh, because of those burdens, our muscles grow stronger and more developed, and the same is true of us. We only grow strong as Christians when we have something to struggle against. A Christian who has a life without struggle has a weak will and a weak spirit. So it, for that reason, is writers like James who says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So rather than look at these things as with dread, we can look at them with hope, knowing that these are making us strong. We're strong when we practice what we preach. Some believers think that it's just enough to believe what is correct and what is true and to share that with others. And they think that because of this, they're in a strong position before God. And it doesn't matter exactly what their lives reflect. As long as they believe and they, they, they talk about God, they're okay. They're with God. Many people live by the philosophy that belief in Jesus is all that matters and what I do in life will not weaken or strengthen my position before God as His child. I'm His child. He, he, I'll always be His child. There are some who, who profess this belief that it doesn't really matter what my life looks like as long as I believe in Jesus. You cannot be more wrong. You look at Romans chapter 2. Paul was addressing people who wore a name that spoke of a relationship with God. And they wore a name that preached God's righteousness. But God told them in Romans chapter 2 that obedience to God's righteousness was critical to be justified. 
And in verses 7 through 20, 17 through 24, look how he admonishes these people. And I put, I put in here in brackets, Christian, because I'd like us to go ahead and as he's talking to them, imagine he's talking to us. It's always good to make application. But if you bear the name Jew, or Christian, and rely upon the law, and you boast in God, and you know His will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, or unbelievers, because of you, just as it is written. He was, a, he was getting on to them because they were, they were boasting of a relationship. I am a Jew. I have a special relationship with God. And they were, they were proclaiming the law, and they were very boastful of this, and yet their lives were corrupt. Sometimes we, who bear the name Christian and have a special relationship with our Lord Jesus, we proclaim the gospel, and yet our lives are corrupt. And so in a sense... He would say the same that among us the name of God is blasphemed among the unbelievers because of us. Our choices, our examples, they matter. They, they can not only weaken us in our position before God is pleasing or displeasing to them, but they also can cause God's name and God's reputation to be tarnished before unbelievers. You look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, and Paul was telling the Christians at Corinth, he was saying that you are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. He was saying, you are the word of God in action. That's what, that's you and I. We are the word of God in action. And yes, we should be proclaiming the truth, but we also should be showing them it active in our own lives. Peter, who was addressing wives who wanted a strong influence with their husbands to obey the truth, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. We understand that sometimes talk is cheap, but when you live and you do, it, it is a profound influence on other people. We will be in a position of strength before God and also be in a position, a strong position to turn others to the Lord through our actions when we ourselves submit to God's righteousness. And lastly, we are strong when we are united. There's an idea that a strong person is one who doesn't need anyone else to hold him up. Uh, I'm an island. I don't need anyone else's help. Since childhood, sometimes we under, under this philosophy, we, we say, well, I can do it myself. Uh, I don't need your help. Uh, I'll make it on my own. But people have brought this philosophy to God's kingdom. They say, I don't need a church to be close to God. Or, 
you know, I love Jesus. It's the church that I, I have a problem with. People don't want to be united with other believers in, in this way to work together. However, you know, God knows that Christians thrive. Christians grow strong with encouragement from other believers. You look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and that's the whole real point of this passage. He says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Perhaps you might remember an illustration of, of a whole bunch of coals in a fire. And while all those coals are together, they remain hot and burning and glowing for hours. But you take one coal and you just flick it away or you toss it away on its own, that coal, left by itself, quickly grows cold. Brethren, we remain glowing and strong in, in our service and our ardor for the Lord when we are together united under the Lord, working together. And that's what the whole point of, of this passage is about, Hebrews chapter 10. We need to learn how to stimulate one another, learn how to encourage each other. And that's the reason he says we assemble together, so that we encourage each other. Unity with others who are also united in mind and spirit is what makes us strong. Look at Psalm 133, verse 1. David said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Isn't that so? We are so strong when we work as a unit. In fact, Jesus prayed for this in John chapter 17. He wanted his people to work in harmony with one another. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but, all, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wanted his people, us, all believers, to be united together with the same mind, the same spirit, teaching the same thing. He didn't want schisms. He didn't want different philosophies and different teachings, different differings of spirits. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul was exhorting them in the strongest language to be unified. You look at verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, you notice the language he's using here. I exhort you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is strong language. This is not a, a, a question of, could you do this, please? This is a command. We must be unified with no divisions to have the same mind and the same judgment. So it's not good for us to for a brother not to get along. It's not good for, for a brother not to talk to each other. It's not good for brethren to harbor resentments against one another, to, to not forgive each other, to not, to not seek peace and, and unity. We cannot abide that in the body. Because if we are divided, Jesus says, our house will fall. We're strong when we're united, and we need to seek that unity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, when they were not united and they had strife in the church, you notice what Paul calls them. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, 
But as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? He's calling them worldly. Can you imagine a letter to us saying to the Christians at Eastside, I hear that there is jealousy and strife among you. You are worldly. You are fleshly. You are infants. Is this the way we ought to remain? We want to be unified. There's, when it's more important for us to do each things our own way than to strive for unity under God, we are not stronger for it, but we're weakened. And we're more apt to be corrupted and destroyed by Satan. And I've seen it happen. To conclude, strength is not measured by what society has taught me or taught you, but rather it's measured by uh, what will truly help us to succeed in life, to, to excel and reach the goal for which we are running for. So let's strengthen ourselves by respecting the authority of the Bible, by preaching the Word of God without shame or without embarrassment, by filling ourselves with God's knowledge as well as zeal, by bearing our burdens and those of other Christians, by practicing what we preach, and by unifying ourselves under God in one mind and one spirit. And if we do this, we will succeed and we will prosper. That's what strength truly is. You know, in Matthew chapter 19, you might remember when a young man approached Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Keep the commandments. And he says, which ones? And Jesus quoted those commandments. He says, I've done these things from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus told him what he lacked. You remember, he went away sorrowful because he could not overcome that weakness. What are we lacking that's keeping us from becoming strong to succeed and endure? Let's not become like that young man who chose to turn away from his master when he came face to face with his shortcomings. Instead, let us choose to do whatever it takes to submit to God. And so let us not leave this building for this assembly without making sure that we're going to do whatever it takes to make ourselves strong before the Lord so that what we do will have a profound effect in this world. Let's think of that. It is now, let's go ahead and sing a song.